This week on The Native Immigrants, we're joined by a very special guest, Manisha Taylor, who's just recently been appointed the Assistant Head of Coaching at Queen's Park Rangers. Listening to our interview with her in the second half of the show as she discusses her journey, including her views on Asians in football. The Native Immigrants are in the building. Hit the music. And welcome to another episode of The Native Immigrants. I am your host, Swami Barakas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. How's it going, Jojo B? Very well, thank you. I thought I'd change it up this week. <laughs> you know, do you know what? I, I feel like our, our interactions are always so like monotonous now. That uh, it just I mean, becomes... that's just your voice, though. <laughs> you of all people talking about my voice and <laughs> being completely monotonous. Whatever. Dude. I'm not monotonous. But you know when you have to like, when I have, because when he tries to make me do intros, sometimes he tries to make me do them and then I fail and then he does them instead. I mean, like, I've done like, get out of the way, I'll do it. But I think like when I have to overthink things, then I get a little bit in my head and I just, then I become a bit monotonous. Really simple, simple things like introducing your own podcast, your podcast. I know, but it's pressure in it because I've got to make it sound good. And like something that people want to listen to and invite you in. Yeah. But so like, you're not an, you're not an inviting person. You're I like am, a stay outside like a, my door. I'm a hugger rather than a talker. You're like a hugger, but stay outside my door though. No, Don't when come you, you'll come in and be like hiya, and then I'll give you a big hug. And then close the and door. So, and that's what I do on this on this podcast. I give you all a big collective hug with my voice. Whereas you're just like, yeah, come on, like the party is this way. And you're that dude with the drinks in the hands, you know. <laughs> you know, like with the with the helmet on that's got two like beer cans yes. on the side of it, like the eighties. That's literally how I just imagined you with yeah. the two drinks. With the two and drinks. The, oh, the keg. You know the keg in the background playing beer, beer pong and stuff. You're that dude. If this is a high school movie, <laughs> and I'm like a quarterback. Like, <laughs> this my, is my, a high school movie. No, you know I'm quarterback, but you're like the cool kind of. How like... dare you, bro? <laughs> Man's orchestrates the whole thing, so I'm the quarterback. No, I organize this. You're I'm the, guy the one who. Like, the music, but the cool, like you know, like you know the DJ and you like you rap and all that kind of stuff. The loser, basically. no, 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 no. You're not in band. How dare you? I've been watching too many teenage things this week, but you're not in like band. But you're, you know, the, there's always like cool musician types. You're right. like that. Like you're in, you're in a band, <laughs> <laughs> but you're not in like the school brass band or anything. Right. And and I'm like, you know, the lovely one that hugs everyone. Welcome to our fold. Welcome in. So are you like the friend that, you know, like who really loves the guy and then, but the guy doesn't really love her. That's exactly like, who I am. Cause that was basically my <laughs> whole teenage like, years. Yeah. That's, that's me. I'm actually most of my twenties. So yeah. And most of your 30s. Piss off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it was dear. pathetic, but it's fine now because I'm not anymore. Well, no, no, no. We're, we're both as pathetic as each other now. No, no, everyone else around us is pathetic. No, wow. they're not, they're not, they're wow. not. I love them, I love them also. Are you going to take that, listeners? 
our loyal, loyal followers and listeners. No, because I'm not that person. Pathetic. I'm not. No, I didn't like, mean you guys. I meant the people that like I know and interact with on a daily basis. I mean, like got, those like, people. Three people who listen My to the friends. show, and all three of them are now pathetic <laughs> in your eye. That's unbelievable. No, just our friends. <laughs> just our friends are pathetic. Wow, our friends. You're gonna take that. This is this is like a real character assassination right now from Jojo B. She I love is literally. These going you know how in. much I love these people, right? And I listen to our friends daily bullshit, and I'm just like, I wow, love you. Wow, you're telling your friends talk bullshit now I talk to bullshit you as well. To them. That's what friends are for. Whatever. If you can't talk bullshit to your friends, what's the point of having a friend? Anyway, completely sidetracked there. Let's get back on. Let's get back on. <laughs> I love you all, everyone. I give you all big hugs. Well, all these pathetic people uh, who listen to our show, no, according to Jojo B. They're genuinely like, you are valuable people. <laughs> no, honestly, and we love you. We so, like, and we value you. And we want more of you. Yeah, we want more of you. But we're really, really, really happy with the people that we've got Yes, currently. we're very appreciative. You know, we're not some cult. You know, as soon as you get them in, and it's like, all right, you're done with it. I'm going to move on to the next person and try to enlist another 20 people into my cult and shit. No, we love and cherish every single one of you who tune in every single episode. I didn't mean to call you pathetic. I didn't call you pathetic. This is just the person you are. The problem is like Jojo B, you don't get a chance to see the real Jojo There's B. There's a foot until... mouth Jojo B. I do this all the time in private. Very rarely. He usually edits it, edits it out. And... I know. This is the thing. I try. I edit the whole show out to make Jojo B less, sound less evil than she actually is. I'm not but evil. This is the thing. She's, that's what she'll say. I have to edit that out now or later on the show to make her sound really have lovely no and godly. usually. And I try and filter myself with you guys because, you know, I don't want you to hate me. The filtering is basically me ch- cutting and pasting most of like <laughs> our like, conversations and stuff to make her sound like remotely humane uh, because she's, um, yeah, she's a, she's a monster. Um, but anyway, <laughs> first of all, I want to say a massive, massive thank you to everyone that listened to our last show. Uh, it really was one of our most talked about episodes absolutely the most talked about episode so far this season um but we were overwhelmed with the response and the feedback from people uh from our conversation about identity i think it's just a it's a conversation that everyone has either just in their own you know with their internal voice or with their friends and family like yeah. just how it's all about belonging isn't it so how much do we feel like we belong here and how much do we feel like we are part of something yeah and and so everyone can resonate with it that's exactly what i say yeah it's a conversation that resonated with many people uh especially uh our community and our audience yeah who are similar ages to us uh, a lot of the time and there is that sense of confliction between being british or being asian and so i guess it asked so many questions not just from us having the conversation but from our listeners as well and we got some great, great feedback and we're going to actually, something that we don't do uh, uh, on a lot of our previous shows is actually go through our feedback and actually discuss it between the two of we us. We should do this more often. We really should, you know, because we do get some awesome, awesome responses from our listeners and every week we just carry on talking about our own mundane bullshit. Like, yeah, in the we first do. Half of and, the show. and this show is always about conversations. So exactly. let's start that conversation. Tell us. Tell us what people have said. All right, let's go through a list. We've got loads of responses. Apologies if we don't get a chance to say uh, uh, your response and your feedback for the show. We love you anyway. And we, we would have showed picked. it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to shout out Amrajit Kaur, who said, great conversation. You put into words all the conflicting feelings I have about identity. 
Thank you so much, Amajit. Thank you. Uh, shout out to Jessel, who actually pointed out a mistake on oh, our dear. show. Oh, uh, dear. So I wasn't even going to talk about this, but because this is so few and far between mm. with the native immigrants, we are a professional organization. We here. are indeed. Everything is thoroughly vetted through and like with a fine-tooth comb is uh then delivered out to yeah, we QA our, everything usually. <laughs> usually, yes. Uh, but in this particular conversation, one of our most important conversations, there was uh, a massive error. And it was a um, it was an interesting moment for that for that error to happen mm. because guess who was talking at that point? Mm. Your darling wife. Yeah, no, that's the thing. These kind of things happen. You know, a mistake is a mistake. Mm -hmm. It could have happened at any point at the show. Yes. There was no intentional... But it's very interesting that it happened when I was talking. I mean, it is really interesting. It's just a massive, massive coincidence, obviously. That you didn't notice. I, I didn't notice. That I, your wife was talking. I did see... The, okay, <laughs> so every single show, I listened to the whole show front to back all the way through before yeah. putting the show out and uploading it. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to do it for this particular show because I was editing it like really, really late at night. Okay. And I just thought, do you know what? I never make these mistakes. So why would I even bother having to do this? Because I know how good I am. Oh dear. But you know, like I said, you know, I'm human as well. I can't always be a superhero all the time. Everyone is fallible. And so, um, yeah, apologies uh, towards the end of the show. I accidentally had our theme music running uh, over Jojo B talking about a really important uh, point. About I was actually identity. making a really good point. Yeah, exactly. But you know, Tech tech issues happen. Tech issues happen. But J Jessel did say Jojo B was on fire through the whole show. Thanks, so, Jessel. Um, you know, so that every cloud has a silver lining. Sometimes, sometimes. Put it out the back. Sometimes, I know it's few and far between, like just like the errors on our show. What? Um, <laughs> shout out to Raj, Raj Chima, who said, "Great episode, lots of discussion, and also on a separate note, sounds like Jyoti's rapping as the theme song is uh, coming over the top of her chatting." <laughs> It gives an insight to what Jojo sounds like as an artist. So there you go for that uh, the forthcoming I think project. If, if I was to do a project, it's probably best that the music is louder than me. Right. So that you can't really hear me. I'm just in the background. Okay, yeah. In I the background is where we thoroughly need to keep Jojo B anyway, generally in life. Piss off. Um, what is this? Uh, this is just, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to show people the evilness that Jojo B really is. This is not evil to me. I mean, it's this to me. Not, it's not me wrong. being evil. It's you being evil to me. Right. Um, I want to shout out In the Life of Brown. I, I'm so sorry. I don't actually know this gentleman's actual name. This is what he goes under on his um, Instagram. Do you definitely it's a definitely, definitely a he. Okay. Um, but he's been like giving us some awesome feedbacks. He's been listening to a lot of our recent shows um, and, and talking about the ones specifically that resonate with him. And he really loved this particular show. And he said, I felt I was in this conversation. Everything you two spoke about, that identity piece is a thousand percent. We live how we speak. And it's true to be English as an immigrant. You have to prove yourself constantly. If Mo Farah didn't win gold, he wouldn't be some Mo. It'll be go back to where you're from. Murray is English when he wins, angry Scott when he loses. you got to work 10 times as hard to get half. But here's a question for you guys. Did your parents live in the fear of getting sent back and had a suitcase packed and ready? A lot of Ugandan South Asians did that after being expelled from Uganda. Really interesting. That is interesting. Uh, that, that was not my um, experience. Mm. Um, I have heard of it happening though. I think a lot of that is more down to, definitely down to the East African Asians. Because 
I know from my mum and her parents coming over from Kenya, I, I guess they always looked at this as almost a, a temporary situation as mm. well. Like a lot of them, is, well, maybe not so much my immediate family, but a lot of our external family or community that came over from Kenya and Tanzania, yeah. they always envisaged going back to Kenya and Tanzania one day. Okay. So they they always saw this as like a, right, so we've have, had to be expelled and brought over here, but really um, I want to eventually go back. And so it wasn't so much kind of like the thought process of, they're going to chuck us out. It was like, when can I find the right opportunity to go back to what is in essence our actual home? Uh, and obviously now they've actually stayed here longer than they were in you know, yeah. in East Africa in yeah. the first place. So this has become home. And I guess it was just a case of reestablishing their communities here in various parts of the UK. Mm. And, and once that happened, um, you know, there was that this was home. This, this, the but sense that, of home was here. That that choice would have been theirs to make. It was not that they lived in fear of being yeah. kicked out. Yeah, my, I don't think my... We never had any of those kinds I of things. So I think from, less so from India. I'm sure less so from India. Yeah, because my yeah my family didn't come via East Africa, so we didn't have that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's interesting. That is very interesting. I'd love to know how many more people had that going on in their households. Absolutely. So if, if you also um, come from an East African heritage, as many of our community do, let us know your thoughts about that. Did your parents feel the same? Um, it's a really, really interesting point. Thank you so much in yeah. the life of Brown. Much Very appreciated. Much, appreciate that, yeah. uh, much, much shout outs and love to Marla. Marla KV Photography, a friend of ours, great listener as well of the show. Lovely lady. And she said, a great episode. Good point about why Asians don't always speak up about racism, partly due to intergenerational trauma. Trauma is often felt strongly by the generation it's been passed down to, as seen in a study of Holocaust survivors' children. I see this in my extended family. Mm. Intergenerational trauma, Georgia yes. B. Yeah, we, we touched on it briefly in the show. Um, and I have recently done a, a, a course with Desi Minds mm -hmm. about um, mental health issues within the South Asian community, how we can talk about them, um, how they're perceived, and how we are treated for them as well within the, the medical world. Yeah. Because there are nuances when it comes to the Asian community and the things that we've been through and the traumas that we've had and how that then is passed down through the generations. Yeah. Also affects how we handle our mental health or our, our mental health disorders, if we have them. Yeah. We'll always have a slight nuance to them because of that generational trauma that we experience. Mm. Um, and so it's important to be seen by someone who understands those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very fascinating, I will not pretend to be an expert after doing one kind of one week module on it yeah. um, in this course with Desi Minds, but I would very much recommend people read up on that and kind of understand that actually the things that happened during partition and at other times. So for instance, with the, um, with the East African kind of refugees, Ugandan expelled, yeah, yeah. you know, like that, that kind of thing, that is trauma. And that keeping that suitcase packed is a trauma that your parents might have, but then that passes to you. And then how does that affect you and the way that you view the world? And then how will you pass that on to your children? It's a thing that happens. So it's not, you can't necessarily kind of, say oh, oh well i i keep my suitcases packed but you will you will handle situations slightly differently than yeah. if you'd come from a household that didn't have a suitcase packed in case you had to run away again mm. you know it's just the way that you start to view the world yeah 
um, changes then how you interact with the world and then that you then that pass those habits on to yeah, your, no, yeah. to the next Mala generation. Yeah, no, did say it feels like almost like a DNA thing that's uh, that's yeah. passed down and then, you know, you because of the trauma, it just gets kind of like hidden with, within the surface. But in actual fact, it's inherently still always there. Yeah, well, they've done studies. I think it was that study that she was talking about there or maybe later about um, trauma and how it can affect the fetus if you experience trauma while pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... It does affect your biology as mm, well. Yeah, interesting, interesting point. Thank you so much, Mala. Thank you to Apu Vyas, uh, who also said a great show. Lots of interesting nuances in the conflict a lot of us feel. Personally, I feel British, not English, perhaps because I wasn't born here, but definitely support England football team. Cricket-wise, comfortably divide my loyalties between both England and India. Now, this is obviously, this is something that we spoke about uh, on that show about... Yeah you know the your loyalties and having to feel kind of conflicted obviously between the two yeah but it's actually a conversation that we're going to be carrying on with Apuvias himself yes. and the desi ballers because this is south asian heritage month and i will be doing a collaboration with Apuvias and the desi ballers on august the 7th talking about asian in football the show is actually going to be called Asians still can't play football. Mm. Now, <laughs> that's a great title. Yeah, that's a it's an interesting. It's a controversial, but there's a double play on the words as well at the same time. In that, you know, is it more of a talent skill thing, or are they stopped from playing it potentially? Mm. But it's going to be a great conversation piece about Asians in football in general, um, and uh, lots of interesting discussion and topics within that. So make sure you guys tune in August the seventh. Uh, on the South Asian Heritage Month um, website. And yeah, you see some or hear some uh, very, very topical and potentially controversial debate. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. Really, really interesting. Thank you so much, Apu, for listening to the show. Uh, Amandeep Singh said, I don't feel British at all. In fact, I spend about 80% of my waking time speaking another language. Right wing has always been there. It's just mutated into something different and seems more on the rise. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's, interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting point. But yeah, very strong, strong words there from uh, Amandeep. Um, and then lastly, we've got Sanjida Ahmed, who also said, I don't feel British mainly because of the racism and the constant having to justify our people's actions. Right wing has always and will always happen as long as there is a government who controls things. We currently have footballers who are feeding the children to this nation, the same footballer who was racially abused for missing a penalty. Being Asian, married to a black man and being Muslim, I definitely feel disconnected. The only British thing about me is my passport and being born in the Western world. Our people, black, Asian and Hispanic, have already been through enough. We have all seen how the British media picks and chooses who they label as terrorists. It's unfair. Very, very, very strong words mm. from Sanjida to finish. But, you know, it's crazy how it echoes the sentiments of so many people who actually got back to us uh, over the show. Um, you know, because one thing that we always speak about on the show is how we're, you know, a product of being both British and Asian um, and how we're proud of those two cultures. But it's um, it's apparent, obviously, how much stuff that's been happening in, in the world in the last kind of two, three years, I guess, since Brexit itself and how much more people do feel disconnected from being British. Yeah, and I think if, you're, if your acceptance is conditional, hmm. 
and you always feel like you're on the back foot because the goalposts are constantly moving, yeah. then I'm not surprised that lots of people feel that way. Yeah. And that's why we're still having that conversation about our belonging and how much we feel British and what our identity is and what it means. We constantly have to have that conversation because... You know, as much as saying, oh, right, the, the right wing's on the rise, it's always been there. It's always made us question who we are and what yeah. we do and why we belong here and if we belong here and all of that stuff. And so this conversation's never stopped. It's been going on since we were kids, since yeah, we were true. born, you yeah, know? And, yeah. my, and like, and our parents had to answer the question and now we have to answer the question. And it's just kind of, I just, I think that until we stop, having to answer that question hmm. what are you where are you from yeah then, where are you really um from? yeah when that stops then we can stop asking ourselves what our identity is yeah until that point we're always going to be asking it no this is this is the thing um and which makes obviously our kind of conversation and what we spoke about um that much more important um and that much more evident i guess with the feedback that we've got and also the the very differing nature of responses that we got from people who feel one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but we might actually put it out to our audience um, for, for next week. We might put a little poll on our social media to find out exactly how people feel and what they feel their identity is, whether they do feel British or whether they do just feel Asian or whether it is a combination of both. It'd be um, really interesting. So yeah, check that out in the next few days. I'll be posting that up on our Instagram, maybe, to get a yes. poll on there and to get people's thoughts. Um, because, yeah, this has been great to hear people's responses and open up that conversation, that dialogue amongst our community. And I think we'll continue to do that for most of our shows now going forward. Yeah, I think the conversation of identity will always be back. It will be in the background of everything we speak about. Yeah, And sure. so, yeah, we should uh, get more interactive. Interactive indeed. Find out your thoughts. Like we said, it's a conversation. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, enough listening to us. We want to hear from you instead. Do our work for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. So, let's talk about Never Have I Ever. Yay! Actually, no, no not even let's talk about. Jojo B, <laughs> talk about Never Have I Ever. It's back. It's uh, season two is on Netflix right now. Yes, you can watch it. We've watched it. I made you binge it. I did indeed. <laughs> and um, give us a bit of backstory now. We we've obviously spoke about Never Have Ever last season. But yes. For those people who don't know what this show is, give us a little uh, backdrop. Okay, it's a show that was created by Mindy Kaling. Um, it's about a young teenage girl asian girl indian girl mm -hmm. who is growing up in la and her father has just passed away yep and spoiler alert and she is i mean that's not much of a spoiler really um and she is learning to cope in the world without her dad there this you know tumultuous relationship she has with her mom mm -hmm. like all teenage girls do um and all the people that she's in high school so all the shit that happens in the high school of the yes. high school dramas boys and friends and all that stuff um that's the basic gist of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I love this show. Mm. Partly because I love Mindy Kaling and I just like, she speaks to me in a way that very few other uh, writers and creators have done. Yep. The, uh, you know, she's an Asian woman. She tells our stories. It's very similar to like American kind of... Uh, Teen dramas and stuff, yeah. Yeah, no, but just the American-Asian experience is not that different from 
you know, the British Asian experience yeah, if you're sure. of a certain age. Yeah, for sure. Um, and this is a teen show with the lead being an Asian girl. Yeah. And that is something that I thought I would never see. Um, and I did see last year when season one came out. And yep. season two is now out as well. So it's con- it's kind of continuing on the story of Devi, who is the, the main character. Main protagonist. Yes. And... I, mean, I don't know how much to say without giving it all away. Yeah, no, I don't think there's much more to, to say in terms of I like the show itself. It seems to have got a lot of love this time. Last I mean, time was very mixed. And I think those people that hated it first time round probably haven't come back for season two. So they've yeah, yeah, stayed yeah. out of the conversation. Yep. Um, and so it's still it's the fans of season one that are now watching and continuing to watch and airing their views on Twitter. And I think that this season has been really good, I think. Um They've tackled some... So Netflix give you 10 episodes and they've got 10 kind of half an hour episodes, maybe 40 minutes if, on on some occasions. Yep, yep. Um, and so it's hard to get everything in there. But they do touch on a lot of different subjects. Um, I mean, last year, there was like really briefly mentioned things like, um, but very, I thought, beautifully done, things like miscarriage and... Um, the attitude towards widows yeah 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 that kind of stuff was just kind of like it was touched on but then in a way it's kind of like that's life isn't it like things kind of happen and and to people to you or to people around you and they're just a part of your story and then the story continues yeah yeah you know and i think that's within 10 episodes you can only do so much but they at least are attempting to try and tackle some of the taboos that exist in our community and the way that we talk about the divorce and the way that mixed race relationships yeah mixed race relationships that kind of thing it's all stuff that people don't you don't see it on TV. You don't see Asians talking about this stuff on TV. For sure. Um, and so, I mean, we started this podcast because you didn't hear anybody talking about this stuff before. Yeah, yeah. Um, now more people are talking about these kinds of things. There are other podcasts and radio shows and stuff tackling issues that we need to be talking about. And this is what a TV show like this could do. But also from the point of my inner, you know, 16, 17 year old, mm. just the idea of having someone that I could see on TV that isn't like, you know, I watched Dawson's Creek and I don't know, things, you know. Like, OC and like, yeah, yeah, One Tree Hill. Stuff. And My so-called life. And you just saw these kind of like waif-like white girls with the porcelain skin and the beautiful boyfriends. Mm. And you just kind of thought, like that's all I had to look up to so that's kind of what I wish my life was like yeah and now you've got a generation of teenagers who will have Devi yeah exactly. to look up to someone who looks like them and she's not you know like some kind of model looking girl she's like a normal looking girl she's yeah, gorgeous yeah, sure. but she's normal do you know what I mean and, and it's just like and kind of regular yes. someone that you could be friends with or someone that you could know or could be your cousin or whatever yeah and I think that that's a really really important thing for young girls yeah. to have is a role model that looks like them because I did not have that and I know that I would have benefited massively hmm. and I think my self-esteem would have benefited massively from seeing someone that looked a bit like me on TV yeah for sure 100 percent. no I, I completely um and I concur with everything you just said there I think it's a show that um that we've been screaming for you know we've been talking about 
asking for representation and and positive representation for our community and we obviously we've seen it on a, yeah. a couple of shows in the UK that we've mentioned recently that have been on TV Lady Parts obviously being one of those yeah um but you know we'd never have it ever on on such a massive platform like Netflix and um, I was just reading the reports I think in um July 2020 they were saying up to that point 40 million people had watched Never Have I Ever. It was huge globally. Is, and it, yeah. this season again is as well. Well, it was number one on the on the list, wasn't it? In terms of the top yeah, 10 the rank on the um, for Netflix. But on, on in many different countries, yeah, it ranked yeah, as yeah. number one, which I just think is, it's a really, it's a really beautiful thing because the stories are universal. Mm. The, the, the bonus for us is that the lead is an Indian. Absolutely. You know, to see a brown face and and they, they don't shy away from the culture that you know there's there's so the family are tamil so they use tamil words uh, references you yeah know, like you would at references. home like just little things like you know come over here but said in tamil or whatever you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just and the the clothes and the you know the little hints of when like we do like when we go out and get dressed up we might be wearing english clothes but we might wear slightly indian jewelry that yes. kind of stuff that those little tiny things yes the detail comes from having someone like Mindy Kaling having their eye over all of it. And didn't you like kind of fangirl over like Puna Jagannathan's uh Oh my God, she wears well. the most incredible outfits in the world. Like genuinely, she looks stunning. Like her whole wardrobe is what I wish I had. <laughs> yeah. But you there's one suit in there. There's this one like trouser suit that she wears and it's it's genuinely one of the most beautiful bits of clothing i've ever seen yeah 100 percent um well i can i can i can see from your like glowing um like eye gouging <laughs> the kind the of fashion like, in this um, season is like has stepped up i mean davy looks great everyone looks great all of the characters common looks great you know it was great to see common, common in, in the series in we're not going to tell you too much about the storylines and and what happens obviously within it um, because I, we really encourage you all to, to watch it for yourselves if you haven't watched it yet. If you have watched it, let us know your thoughts. Come back to us with your thoughts and feelings in the show. Um, we were big proponents of it last season. Uh, and having watched the second season, it's 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 only gone from strength to strength. There's new yep. characters introduced this season as well um, that have only added um, to the strength of the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's been commissioned now for a second, for a third series. I bloody hope so, because it deserves it. It really does. Yeah, for um, sure. And I need to know more. I need to know what happens next. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, one other thing that I will say about this season is that it tackles a, a topic that doesn't get spoken about within our community. It obviously happens, but it doesn't get spoken about. And that is eating disorders. Yes, 100%. Um, and... Um, and I just think that it was very brave of them to try and tackle that again in half an hour shows across a 10, 10 episode season. It's hard to kind of dig deep and, you know, and do the background work and, you know, like and kind of really set all of that up and give you all the information that you could possibly need about that character and their eating disorder. Yes. But it's tackled in a in a way that I think is kind of there's always that skew of like there are teenagers watching this so you know like they they don't kind of it doesn't get too heavy yes but just the mention of it i think is really important and yeah. i think that they did handle it quite well no, no there's always a way that you can make things better and you could always make it a bit more 
you could delve into more depth, but then I think Netflix needs to give them 20 episodes. Yeah. Well, actually, in saying that, it's something that probably we need to discuss on this show yes. uh, in more in actually more detail because, again, it is something that hasn't, isn't spoken about enough amongst our community. Yeah. Um, so we might even do that for the next show, potentially. Um, but definitely for a future episode, um, it's something that we do need to speak about, um, which is something really, really important. Um, and unfortunately... Um, that so many of our community suffer from as well. Yes, and it's not just a girl issue. It's a, exactly. You know, male and female um, people go through that. And I think, yes, we should definitely talk about it at some point. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So please, uh, in the meantime, check out Never Have I Ever. And let us know your thoughts on it. Um, and yeah, that's our um, recommendation, I guess. The TV recommendation, we love it. We do love it, for sure. Um, continue to um, check out all the events this month for South Asian Heritage Month, uh, which will be carrying on for most of August as well Ooh. at the same time. And uh, On the second half of this show, coming up, we're going to be talking to Manisha Taylor. Now, for those who don't know who Manisha is, uh, she is... And when I when I say this out, it's, it's crazy even to think about it. But she's the assistant head of coaching at Queens Park Rangers. It's mad. <laughs> that is, it is amazing. I don't even say, I don't want to say oh my god, it's unbelievable because it should be believable. This is someone who's worked for the last decade in football, mm. working away up from youth development and years of just volunteering and not even getting paid doing it for the love of football and for the love of trying to help the young the youth and the and the kids out basically yeah um through all levels and work their way up through the ranks to this amazing position at queen's park rangers um and i met her a number of years ago and to see her journey in that time has been awesome uh, and we were lucky enough to get her to join us on this week's episode she is mega busy extremely like, busy so, i mean as you can imagine that job is very 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 busy and it takes up a lot of her time yeah and so because of that we only had a short amount of time uh to get a chance to speak to her in between her crazy busy schedule yeah so it wasn't the full length long interview that we would love to have had um at any other point in time um, but it enables us basically to get her on again in a future episode and yeah. delve into uh, a few of the things that she does speak about on the second half of this show, which were really, really interesting. And we'd love to um, tackle them a little bit more um, in much more detail. But in the meantime, you're going to check out Manisha speaking to us about her journey and her experiences on the second half of the show. And that's coming up after this short break. Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And for this week, we are joined by very special guests. Right? So right now, this is the summer of sport. Mm -hmm. So we've had football, obviously just happened. The Euros ended quite tragically. Uh, the Olympics are now kicking off as well. 
And so I thought it was fairly apt to have someone involved in the sporting field come join us for this week's interview. A very special someone. A very special someone indeed. Now, I met this young lady, it must have been about six or seven years ago now. I think she was introduced to me by a good friend of ours, the podfather himself, Mr. Sapman, at one of these like glitzy Asian you know, events. He knows everyone. He does know everyone. Um, I think she was lucky enough to be joined on his show uh, a few years back. And now, long overdue, we've got a chance for us to join her on ours which is a massive, massive privilege for us. Uh, and that is because she's achieved something unbelievable this year, like really breaking so many barriers, especially when it comes to representation for our people within the sporting field. Uh, she's just been appointed assistant head of coaching at Queen's Park Rangers. And I'm not talking about that, the female team. We're talking about the male team, the men's team. That's very, very big. Yeah, no, that is very, very big. It's a huge, huge, huge achievement. Uh, and we're delighted to be joined this week by Manisha Taylor, who's going to talk to us about all these amazing things. How's it going, Manisha? Oh, yeah, yeah, good, thanks. I think um, it's it's an honour for me to be able to join you both, let alone the other way around. So, no, thanks, thanks for inviting me. No, honestly, the pleasure is all ours. Um, since I don't know we've been talking for a number of years now uh, about touching base and, and collaborating and doing something together in the future. And I'm so glad that we can finally make it happen, especially now during this massive, massive achievement for you um, in this awesome, awesome career. I know you've been working within the field of football for a number of years. And I think now we're going to see the, the fruits of that labor finally starting to take place. But let's Let's go, let's go further back. Let's, let's take it back a little bit uh, to the days of young Manisha. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and what first made you decide to pursue a career in football? So um, I've always enjoyed and loved football. So I grew up playing football with my twin brother. But I grew up in a time where there were very few opportunities for young girls, let alone girls who were, who were South Asian. And women's football, as we see it now, certainly didn't exist when I was growing up in the 80s. So I think what's great is there are more opportunities now for young girls. There's a clear talent pathway for girls who potentially want to have football as a career, whether it's in the Women's Super League or even the England talent potential, you know, national talent pathway. And for me, I, I knew early on that I'm probably never going to make it as a player. Because, you know, you need opportunities, you need a pathway, uh, you also need commitment and support from family members, especially as a young person to be able to take you to training. And unfortunately for me, those things early on didn't, didn't exist. And I remember mm -hmm. when I went to secondary school, first thing I asked my PE teacher was, how come we don't have a girls team? And he said, well, if you can find me more girls to play, then I'll, I'll set up a team for you, no problem. And that was difficult because it was only myself and, you know, another another one of my friends, Claire. But of course, you could only play mixed football at that time until you got to a certain age. And, you know, after about 11 or 12, you had to have a separate girls and boys team, which is very different in grassroots football now because you can play mixed football for a lot longer. Hmm. I would play in the park and, you know, very amateur level. I think I started to play Sunday league in my 20s, simply because that's when we started to see in the early 2000s a little bit more involvement with with the women's game. And 
like I said, that maybe if those opportunities existed earlier, you maybe women like me and others, you know, um, might might have had that in their in their pathway. So I grew a passion for child development, and I did that as a GCSE. But I also found I was really good at it. So from that, I started to think about potentially a career in teaching. Went to Goldsmiths Uni and did a BA in education with a qualified teacher status, but specialised in early childhood education. Awesome. And if I'm honest, at that time, I didn't have it in my head that I'm going to pursue football. Say people will know, but when I was 18, my brother suffered from a mental health breakdown. So that resulted in him requiring a lot more care and it, it completely changed, let's say, our lives as a family. So there was a lot of pressure internally that was then impacting on, I guess, myself, how I was feeling, um, how I was reacting to the situation of, you know, being so close to somebody. And then uh, that person, in, in essence, with his condition, not recognising who you are, not being able to verbally communicate and do things as a human being that he was able to do uh, before. Hmm. So I, I disconnected myself with football for a long time. And it was only when I was working at the Swaminarayan School, which would have been, I think it was about 2002. And the kids would be playing in the car, in say the car park, which was their playground at the time. And one day I just said to the head teacher, who was a huge Leicester City fan and really liked football, that, you know, do you mind me setting something up? Because I think that, you know, there might be some interest. So he said, yeah, why not give it a go? And started off with a couple of boys. It then grew. And then some of the girls started to, you know, get on board. Uh, and I did that during my time there. And it was in 2010 that I actually did my level one, um, which was the initial. I mean, the, the, the coaching pathway, it has changed now. But then it was called the level one coaching badge. And that was that really, did, did my level one, was then signposted through London FA and Alex Welsh to get onto my level two. And But to work in the professional game, like the boys' professional game, a prerequisite would be the UA for B, which is in a sense a level three. And by the time I got to QPR, which was 2016, I had uh, worked at Middlesex at the Girls' Centre of Excellence, but formally, so in a paid role, as well as doing all these other voluntary roles um, in, in other grassroots environments, but also had my UEFA B. And I'd met Chris two years before. Uh, so Chris Ramsey, our pedagogy coaching and technical director. I didn't have my B license then anyway. But look, we, we spoke and I said to him, you know, what would you, what would you advise if this was something that I'd be looking to do or even thinking about? And he said, well, you just need to get more time on the grass. So he said, look, I haven't got any jobs at QPR but if you've got your B license you're more than welcome to come and volunteer and I thought well that was that really if I'm honest and almost like the rest is history because I I needed to get a foot in through the door and expose myself to this environment and this was an opportunity to allow me to do that. So like me you came from a Gujarati family and a career in football is obviously a very non-traditional choice of career what was their initial reaction to this and was there any potential resentment involved the initial reaction was obviously you you're um 
on a lucrative salary. So I, when mm -hmm. I transitioned, I was 31. So obviously I'm a lot older and I, I you know, built a 10 year career in education yeah. and was ready to go and become a head teacher. So when you're then taking a complete, you're, you're taking a career change and you're reinventing yourself in something different, um, there's, there's going to be changes to your lifestyle because of the financially it, it may may not be the same. And in my case, it wasn't the same. So it was more a case of, you know, you do realize you're taking a big risk. But like, fortunately for me, my mum was really supportive because she knew I loved football. But, you know, there was also a personal connection to, to football with my brother. So I, I recognized how important me trying would be. And my mum knows what I'm like as a person, which is, you know, I'm very focused. Uh, I'm, I'm very goal orientated. Uh, really ambitious and you know it was something that I wanted to, to make work and lucky for me my my I had you know my mom was really supportive in helping me along that journey because financially I took a, a significant cut yeah um did they or did you have any kind of worries about the misogyny and the racism that we all know kind of exists within the world of football especially men's football um and have you experienced any of those things I didn't really think about it, to be honest, because when you're in and around those environments, it, and I and I was when I was teaching, because I'd be coaching on the weekend outside of, outside of me um, teaching. It, it's not something I came across, you know, and, and it's not unless you're in that environment full time, do you start realising that there are differences and that you are seen as different. When you're just on the outside, on the peripheral, and you dip in and dip out, it doesn't affect you as much. And, and I, I hadn't been affected by it. So unless you're affected by it directly, it becomes very difficult to actually recognize and understand that, do you know what, this is actually a problem. And it was only when I went into the professional environment, but full time, did I start recognizing that actually sexism is a little bit more of an issue, uh, purely because I come, I'm in an environment that's very diverse. Yeah. Now, what I also have to recognize and be open about is the fact that across the 92 clubs in, in, in the league, that not every club's going to be like UPR, but because that is the only professional club that I have been exposed to in that capacity, every, you know, from the chef right the way to whether you're a coach or if you're working in HR or what, you know, or whatever it might be, uh, we have people from all walks of life. So I'm so used to that. So I haven't ever felt that I have um, been treated differently. But what I do recognise is that is not the norm. And what I also recognise yeah. is that actually if it's sexism is a little bit more of an issue than racism, from my in my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, simply because although uh, we're a diverse club, that's not across the board. Second of all, there aren't that many women in the professional game, period whether yes. you're black, white, Asian, or whatever it might be, that that's where you see, or I've recognized more of a, that, that it, it seems to be more of an issue. Wow. But we're still yet to see an abundance of Asian football is the top level of English football. Why in 2021 do you still think that is? And what more needs to be done from a community perspective? I, I think we've got to stop. I, I've, I think we've got to change that narrative. I think we've got to stop looking at the fact that there aren't that many and we've got to focus on the fact that there are role models because there are. We've got probably seven players at our place. 
across the nine to the B team who come from a South Asian background. That's only from one club. Um, there's obviously a couple uh, across across other clubs. Um, so I, I think people need to get a little bit more uh, of an education around uh, who's in the game currently. Uh, I, I think particularly fans like South Asian football fans, because what, what you tend to do is you just look at, and it's no one's fault because this is natural. You just go for who's in the Premier League and 0.012% of footballers, doesn't matter what colour you are, will will make it as a pro player. So from the millions of players, kids playing youth football, only 180 are going to make it in terms of a contract. So it doesn't matter what skin colour you are, what faith or ethnicity, the, the statistic already tells you that it's very unlikely you will be a pro. However, you could make a career in the game at some type of salaried football. So what we got to do is look at across the league to see, okay, well, actually, right, you got the Premier League, but what about the Championship? What about the lower leagues? What about non-league? That there yeah. are a number of players um, playing across the whole football pyramid. You've also got the fact that in academies now, obviously, it's slightly different because people aren't going to be privy to to, to the to minors in the academy. But you, you've got academies that are um, that's. I'm not saying it's perfect, right? But you've got academies now um, that do have a couple of salvation players. You've got like the PFA doing like through Riz, Riz, Riz Ramar is doing great work around uh, using the AIMS program and the project yes. to, to utilize um, ex-pros like Neil Taylor, like Danny Buff to um, engage with the current youth. So your current under 12, your current under 14 who's South Asian in an academy. Then what you've also got to look at is a statistic and how low it is generally. Then you've got to look at how many, uh, you know, in terms of the pool. So if you have a group of 15 players and only 0.01 out of all those who trial and want to play are going to make it into that group of 15. And you've got a smaller pool of players who are South Asian to, to get in at that level. You've got a small crop anyway. Yeah, of course. So I think that there needs to be more, say, more education. I just think people need to become a little bit more rounded in their education around uh, statistics, around the nature of, of the game, around the, the pathway. Uh, have a look at, you know, go and research and look at players like Desi Ballers on social media. Yes, you know, can, you know, all you have to do is just go on, go on social media, go on Google and do some research around plays that we currently have and let's start profiling and focusing on that rather than looking at the fact that we don't have anyone in the Premier League. Yes, indeed. Um, and make sure you all listen out for our collaboration with the Desi Ballers and Apuvias this month on South Asian Heritage Month, where we will be talking in more detail about Asian footballers, for sure. Um, but let's go back to Manisha. Now, like obviously, I'm a Brentford fan. You're now working for what, in, in essence, is the enemy. But I won't really hold that against you, obviously. Um, what is the next step for you in terms of climbing the potential football ladder? Uh, I'm so I've, I mean, I've only recently been appointed as assistant head of coaching for the nine to the sixteen. So you know, I I, I want to be as good um, to the best of my ability, youth youth developer. I want to work in youth youth development. Um, in football, uh, I want to, you know, I need to continue now to learn my trade and and be good at my my current role. In, in essence, to hopefully take me in in the future to maybe a head of coaching or a, or an academy manager. 
I'm also my A-license. So, you know, again, that's going to assist me, uh, you know, on the grass, but also assist me in, in my current job now. So for me, it's important to have ambitions like it is for anybody, isn't it? And my, my biggest thing at the moment is if I can be in a position to influence change, uh, along with Chris and having people like Chris and Alex and having a club that that does promote actively promote and embed inclusion and diversity, then we have to use our, our, our position to influence change. So if that's a case of openly saying that, you know, we, we are open to, you know, having people from diverse communities across our coaching staff, you know, so we got what approximately 120 players across the 9s and the 16s. Do they represent the demographic in which we're in? Yes, yes, they do. What can we do more to, 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 to help with that? That That's, you know, we want to evolve. But most important thing is making sure that I'm able to, to use my position to be able to influence change. Thank you so much for joining us, Manisha. I was just wondering, lastly, if you could tell us if people are interested in following you, where they can find you on social media. Yeah, sure. So it's um, my my company um, social media accounts, which is Swagalicious with an A. So Swagalicious underscore on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Well, you know what? It's an amazing, amazing achievement, Manisha. Uh, we're incredibly proud of you as a community for everything that you've achieved in the world of football, especially in such a male-dominated industry. Like you said, there's there's hardly any females around. There's hardly any female Asians around within the sport of football. And for what you've achieved is an incredible achievement. And for us, like, it's, like we say, this is just the start of the journey. And we look forward to seeing all your achievements in the coming years. Obviously, like I said, I'm a Brentford fan. And so uh, as, as much as the team does is, is another thing. But for you personally, <laughs> I would love to see you succeed. And, and like I said, come join us on this side. We're now a premiership team. If there's an opportunity for you at the best club in West London, then um, I'm sure we can potentially make it happen. Are you trying to poach Manisha? I'm for trying Brentford? to poach Manisha for Brentford, obviously, <laughs> you know, because like, you know, she's, she's a very talented person in a role. And I think she needs to join a more talented club. QPR are never going to let us talk, let her talk to us. No, ever absolutely again. not. Yeah, we're going to get vetoed <laughs> by their head of head of PR and their and their agents and stuff, saying, "Can we just like nix this interview in the bud, please?" Um, but honestly, seriously, Manisha, it's been an incredible privilege for us for you to join us here on this show, and massive, massive, well done to you, and best of luck with all your achievements going forward. Guys, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us this week on The Native Immigrants. We'll be back in two weeks for more of the same. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And we'll see you all then, people. Peace. Peace.